Hey, this is Scott Hartnell, and you're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold. We're part of the Penalty Box Radio Network, and we're glad to have you. My name is Kyle. I'm your host. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Guys, we have Game 7 coming. Man, I was hoping it got to Game 7 because I was sitting here looking at our podcasting schedule, and I'm like, the next time we record, the Predators could be eliminated, and that made me really sad. But man, this second round has been a whirlwind, let me tell you. Yeah, we covered the first two games in our last episode. Now we got games three, four, five, and six. Preds and Jets split both games. Well, split all four games, I should say. No team has been like entirely dominant. It's basically went win, other team win, win, other team win, back to back. Yeah, no team has won twice in a row. So we're hoping to break that. Oh, Thursday in the first ever Game 7 at Bridgestone Arena, I might add. It's going to so be awesome. It's going to be legit. I'm going to be there screaming my lungs out. So Oh, you are going? I will be there loud and proud. So it's going to be an excellent game. I can't wait to see the atmosphere. I can't wait to see the crowd. Interested to see the, the anthem singer? Maybe Justin Timberlake? He's going to be in on Wednesday? Mm, yeah. I think that would be fitting to That'd have Timberlake cool. do Game 7. Memphis boy? That'd be awesome. He's co-owner or uh, partial owner of the Memphis Grizzlies. Really? So it'd be kind of cool. I'm sure he would love to get in on some uh, other sporting action. So, Well, you know, he can't do any worse on the anthem than Lady Annabellum did. Oh. The, they what owned was their nickname? To, they, Lady Annabotchum, yeah. what was it? <laughs> Lady yeah. Annabotchum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did well. They sang well. But when you skip to the next part and the other two people are on the right part, it just doesn't, you know, flow well and... At least they owned up to it afterwards on Twitter. So True. I mean, when you got a three-part harmony, all three need to be in th- harmony. Or just on the right part in the song. So, <laughs> Pretty much. But hey, guys, I know you want us to talk about it. We're going to have other things to cover first. Mainly, let's get some league news out of the way real quick. So if you did not hear, the Dallas Stars have a new coach to replace uh, Ken Hitchcock. Finally. And where's he from, Kyle? Because this was kind of a little shocking. He's from Denver University. Normally, the NHL likes to recycle coaches, and it was kind of interesting because I was sitting there thinking, ooh, if the Capitals get eliminated, do they get rid of Trots? Right. And then does Trots just jump ship and then head down to the Central, which would be interesting, and then, of course, restructuring. We might get Trots for a year or two, then the Preds might get kicked out. Well, who knows? But that didn't happen, and uh, I'm kind of interested to see how this pans out for them. It's interesting because he's the fourth coach from the college level to go to the NHL level. Which, like you said, Daniel, doesn't happen very often. So the fact he's the fourth kind of states that. He's been the head coach at Denver since 2013 up till now. So he's got about five years of experience with uh, Denver U, which is a ballin' hockey college to go to. Yes, it is. You can see them on the Frozen Four usually every year, and they're just amazing college hockey to watch. And then for 2010 to 2013, he was the head coach for the Dubois Fighting Saints of the United States Hockey League. Love that. Love that name. You impressed with that, Matt? Good job. He probably was trying to get that pronunciation down <laughs> all day at lunch. You know, just Dubois. Actually, first take, du I Googled bleu. it. I said, how do you say this? And they're like, bleu. Dubois. And I was like, got it. Nice. <laughs> so that being said, he did have a pretty good NHL career. For 93 through 96, he played for the Blues, the Hobbs, and the Flyers. 
Took a break and came back in the double O to O three seasons and played for the Sharks and the Stars where he retired. I think it's a decent hire. I think it's a big uh, bit of a gamble um, not having any NHL experience. He seems to have done really well on the collegiate level, and uh, he doesn't really have a lot of overseas experience too because sometimes you see some KHL or um, other affiliates uh, lend some of their uh, their coaching talents, but it's going to be interesting. Who knows? Yeah, it's odd to see a coach that we haven't seen before. Like you said, the league usually recycles coaches, and that's good because you know the kind of guy you're getting. They've got NHL coaching caliber experience, and maybe that's just a trend. Not only just this guy, but we've seen it a couple times recently. Uh, Detroit did it about a year or two ago when they hired their farm team coach, Jeff Blaschel, from the Griffins to come up and and start their system. So it might be just a new trend we're seeing. And, and not only that, but eventually those guys that have all the experience at coaching have to retire. So that's the way exactly. it is for Hitchcock, Hitchcock. So some guy's got to take a spot. I will say, I hope that this is the only move Dallas makes. Yeah, I was, about, I was do literally, the the ship I literally was about to say that they always get rid of all their players, revamp the lineup. I honestly thought they had a good lineup. They just need the chemistry. So get a new coach, start building that new system, that whatever he wants to do, get the chemistry down. I think y'all are going to be just fine. It's got to be better than what it is at this point for the, you guys because, I mean, you really feel like that team should be a playoff-caliber team just looking at the lineup. I mean, you got Ben Bishop, you got Radulov. I, I mean, Ben, come on. It, it's a star-studded lineup, and you're not making the playoffs. So I think it is a calculated gamble, but I think this one could pay off. And what I really hope pays off is the fact the Canes got a new head coach too. <laughs> Your bubble team. <laughs> My bubble team, which I am already have. You know, I'll go and say it now. Pre, pre, preseason playoff prediction. No, no. The well, Canes whoa, 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 will whoa. make. We're not even the through. The 18-19 season. No, no, no. We're not even through. Fine. The playoffs this year. So calm them a little bit. Okay, I'll put the crystal ball back away. But that being said, they got former player and now new head coach Rod Brindamore. And what's interesting is that he won the Stanley Cup as a member of Lavi's Kane team back in 2006. That's interesting. I did not know that. So I guess he does have some, you know, experience with a great head coach. I mean, I'd, I'd argue that Lavi is one of the more elite head coaches right now in the league. So who knows? Once again, another <laughs> wild card, but it's Carolina after all. So they need a spark. Yeah, I, I, I think anything at that point would be a nice little kicking the butt for them so hopefully they can get their group going they got some young talent there so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out this year they kind of turned it on a little bit towards the end but too little too late well hopefully with their new coach they can have a real hurricane do attitude i hate you so much nope, right now no 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 he's no, been working no. on puns for this episode all day you know when you told me Ooh. you were busy researching all day it really had to have been the puns. research and puns <laughs> With that being said, let's move on past the league news and get into the playoffs, boys. Oh, yes. As last time, we're going to keep the Preds and the Jets to the very end, and we're going to start off in the Eastern Conference. So raise your hands if you had Tampa beating the Bruins. Well, we can't see them, so if you're raising your hand right now, you got to comment on Twitter. It's kind of metaphorical because nobody here is raising their hands because <laughs> we all had the Bruins going past the Bolts. Oh, yeah, th this was kind of a this is a bracket buster for me. And for my, everybody. It, yeah. I I honestly think 
well, one, we'll get into the five-on-five play here of the Bruins, but I also think that the Maple Leaf game was kind of a war of attrition. The Lightning got out of theirs in five against New Jersey. You go to a seven-game series with Toronto, back and forth. Lots of wear and tear on you. I think that does have to be accounted for, and then on top of that, you f- you throw in the five-on-five, five, basically just drying up in the river. I think what it was 187 minutes without yep. a five-on-five five goal. You're gonna you're gonna get bounced. That's crazy. You're gonna get bounced. It was the last three games of the series, and what's even more impressive is that the Lightning kept Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak quiet the entire series. Yeah, it was very impressive. Um, like I said, I don't know how much had to do with being tired because that line—I mean, that line was cooking in the first round. It were were they overworked? Were they overused? Were they double shifting too much to to pull out those wins against Toronto? Well, maybe, and it seems like that did have a slight effect in this series. But the five-on-five five play has got to be better. I mean, you're not going to win. You're not going to win with that type of numbers. Well, Daniel, you know who did not win? Oh, Brad Marchand. No, let's not even get started on this, because basically the media just blew up over what I'm calling Lickgate. <laughs> okay? There's plenty of great headlines, but you're not going to hear a better one than Lickgate. I mean, as the correctional officer for the league, would you ever expect to be calling a full-grown male and telling him to stop licking people or I'm going to have to fine you or sit you down or give you a suspension. It is definitely going to be a 10-minute major or whatever they said. You know, I think he started (laughs) doing it. It's the best ever because he's the ultimate heckler. I mean, you cannot deny You hate his gameplay on the ice if you're the opposing team because he's a dirty player. He's going to crotch-check you, whatever. And then now he's, he's stepped it up. He's licking you, right? I mean, like French kissing you right underneath the nose on the neck. I mean, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, bonus points for creativity there. He definitely knows how to get under people's skin for sure. I don't know, but apparently, let me read you the official uh, clip for what I got. That's apparently, uh, Colin Campbell spoke to uh, Brad Marchand and general manager Don Sweeney on Saturday, and the league reportedly officially put Marchand on notice that his actions were unacceptable and similar behavior in future will result uh, in being dealt with by way of supplemental discipline. And they tagged along with Rule 75.4, which says any player who persists in any course of conduct designed to incite an opponent into incurring a penalty. And they said it will likely end up in a 10-minute... Inciting uh, with lust. I mean, come on. Like, he's just licking people. That's disgusting. (laughs) <laughs> like we're all staring here looking looking at each other and we're just laughing because I never thought I'd be talking about someone licking an opposing player. He's I mean his post game interview was like he hit me two or three times in the face so, you know, just licked him. <laughs> that stopped it. And I'm like, "Yeah, it did cuz <laughs> I mean, are you really expecting that?" Nobody is. <laughs> You're playing a hockey game. Okay, yeah, you expect to take punches. You expect to take, you know, getting spit at, but Nobody really goes into game saying, "Oh my gosh, is somebody going to lick me today?" Like we, uh, there's a photo going around on Twitter where there's a Marchand oh, yeah. is just straight up like almost has his tongue in the dude's mouth. 
yeah. licking him. Yeah. What, what about the one where the fan had the dog collar around him? Yeah. That was, oh, that was man. hilarious. So he couldn't lick himself? That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> the memes were hilarious. I will say, yeah, hockey Twitter has been awesome lately. And not only that, even Montreal is getting oh, in on the action. They were oh. tw- uh, tweeting at Marchand about so, it. So to set this up, Marchand apparently, as Andrew Berkshire puts it, is at home, red, naked, and angry. Which was one of the best tweets I had seen all day. And all he does is tweet a kissy face emoji. <laughs> and the internet explodes. Like, I'm at lunch and I'm like just scrolling through his comments. And it is literally the best Twitter I've seen in a long time. But the Habs have to chime in. The Habs have to chime in. And he absolutely roasts them and says, Really? Because your team's been eliminated since October. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, bro, it's getting rough on Twitter. But it was hilarious. Hands down, some of the best stuff I've seen. Lickgate. Yeah, I didn't even know Montreal was allowed to have an attitude on their Twitter like that. Yeah, I that, know, right? They're trying to get I, sassy really like the Golden to, Knights. Yeah, I was going to say, it had to start with the Knights because people were – the Knights had so much attitude that people were getting mad and they ended up canning the guy who ran the Twitter account. He probably got hired on at Montreal <laughs> to give them some flair. That's right. Not only them, but uh, who is it? The Kings had a little bit going on on theirs. Yeah, the Knights shut them down, though. The Kings <laughs> chirped at – well, tell the story. Yeah, the the – Kings chirped and said something to the Knights about, oh, y'all lost 4-0 to zero against the Sharks. And he's like, yeah, kind of like you lost us 4-0 to zero in the games yeah. <laughs> getting swept. And I'm like, you're done. Just so, put the Twitter account up. Y'all need to go just stay on the golf course. Cause, yeah. I, they Vegas must have inspired everybody to get a little sassy on the Twitter account because it's not just been them. It's been multiple teams that are getting on, on it well, as well. The Kings are well known to be like a sassy Twitter account. If you go to their Twitter uh, bio... They say that they're professional capitologists because so many people were upset about the Kings' decisions on the postseason uh, last year, or coming to the offseason, I should say, about the cap management, that they were tweeting the account, blaming them, and they were like, we're just interns that run the account. <laughs> and so their response is, we're professional capitologists. Nice. Yeah, that said, though, the Knights totally overtook the Kings as far as most hilarious Twitter account. So, If you can stand them some days. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Kings, but man, yeah, Twitter's been fantastic here recently. I, I no complaints on that department. Now, Preds Facebook, on the other hand, garbage fire, just burn the whole ship. Oh my God, we lose a game. Get rid of the team. Get rid. Of, get rid of Lavi. Start Saros. Start Saros. <laughs> um, get rid of uh, GMDP. Just, just throw him in the garbage. He's the worst general manager we've ever had. I mean, some of the comments, really, that are what the comments are on Facebook. The funny thing is, for people that say he's the worst general manager we've ever had, they don't realize yet that he's the, he's only, the only general manager, general manager we've ever had. had. And the whole Start Soros thing is hilarious, which we will talk about more once we get into the Preds games individually. But it is hilarious right now. Preds Twitter, way better than Preds Facebook. Just stay on Twitter. It's a little bit more grounded. <laughs> I mean, they have taken flight. But I bet you after our Game 6 win, man, they were just back on the boat. Oh, you know Plug they are. Plug it up. <laughs> Start bailing water. Here we come. That's why I love Preds Twitter more than anything. Because Preds Twitter is like, we have a loss. Everybody has a little bit of a depression moment. Stay they calm. get back in the boat. Stay calm. We're good. Let's let's talk about it logically 
and then work through it in the next game. It's basically the case of optimist versus pessimist. If you're on the hockey Twitter, everybody's like, what's your opinions going into game going into game six on elimination night? Oh, we can do this. We got this. We believe in the boys. It's opinion-based. Right. But if you go on Facebook, oh, it's it's a burning bridge down there it's on It's opinion-based backed with logic <laughs> where, where Facebook is just a dumpster fire. I mean, someone just throws one comment out there and it's just rattled back and forth. The next thing we know, you know, we've traded half of our team away. So, gotta love those armchair Facebook people. <sighs> armchair Facebook is rough right now, but we are gonna move on to the bottom half of the Eastern Conference because, Kyle, what happened? I'm so excited. Oh, calm down. <laughs> calm down. It happened. You agreed with me. Screw you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> you had no faith. I'm a long-suffering Caps fan, and I am finally rewarded with the Capitals winning Game 6 over the Penguins and sending them into the good night. You got out of the second round, and... (laughs) Big accomplishment. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) No. It's the first time in 20 years they've gotten out of the second round. Yes. Huge accomplishment, and I do not have to listen to the horrible hashtag of three-leave for the Pittsburgh... You know, it was funny because we were looking it up at the game the other night, and Matt honestly did not believe me that that was their new hashtag for the yeah, the playoffs. That was their hashtag. Three, three leave. leave. Yeah, that's pretty lame. Beyond lame. I think after the game, I I tweeted that hashtag. I said they called it uh, E leave or B leave, and yeah, I said E eliminated. Yeah, not good. But yes, they have finally, finally got over the hump. Did you see Ovi's face too? I mean, it was, he was like ecstatic. It Did was you see like his post game interview. <sighs> he dropped the f bomb in the middle of the interview. <laughs> yeah, he didn't care, dude. I mean, it was pure relief upon his face. Just straight emotion coming out at that point. Yeah. That's one of your most elite players in the league, and finally, he finally gets over the hump and gets to the Western or the Eastern Conference Final. I'm super excited for him, and it's over the Penguins. Even better for them with all their, you know, back and forth rivalry and their second round exit. So, congratulations, Kyle! It finally happened, or the story book ending as far as the um, Nashville Predators against the Capitals is still in play. It is as of right now. So we'll, we'll see. We still got a couple more rounds to get through, but and you think I'm excited? You know who was super excited? I think I know where you're going with this one. So there was a clip on NHL.com today for the Capitals radio announcer, John Walton, who I think summed it up best when this happened. Tag on the right wing to Crosby. A poke check away, and now the counter. Here come the Caps. Kuznetsov gets loose. Evgeny coming down the middle. A shot, and it comes in over. He scores! He scores! Evgeny Kuznetsov wins it for Washington! It's off to the third round. The Demons have been exercised. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, Pittsburgh. We're going to Tampa Bay. The Capitals have done it. They slayed the Penguins. (laughs) All of the heartache. All of the Demons. The two-time defending champions are going home. And the Capitals are moving on for the first time in 20 years. What a great call, first of all. Matt, this is your first time hearing it. Yeah, I hadn't heard it before now. 
I mean, he, they purged the demons out. <laughs> I mean, that sounds exciting. He, he was all over that call, and of course, Kuznetsov, Kuznetsov breaking in. I, as soon as I saw it was him when we were watching it live, I'm like, "You got to finish him here." Yeah. If you if, you, if Murray makes that save, uh, I'm not feeling too good. But man, what a great call! It waited. He waited 20 years for that. It sounded like the time of your life to be a Capitals fan, right there. I enjoyed hearing him. He, you could tell us he was just teeming with excitement and the energy in that place. And now they're going on to face Tampa. I've got them going into the Stanley Cup final. Well, we'll see. They still got to get past the Tampa Bay Lightning first, which is going to be a, kind of a hard, hard pressed uh, task to accomplish considering how well they dispatched the Bruins. So we'll see. But let me tell you, Ovi, star of that series, hands down. Absolutely. Absolute beast. Oh, yeah. Power play goals all over the place. Uh, I actually was thoroughly impressed with how they played against the Penguins. I thought the Penguins were very top-sided as they far were. as you had two players basically scoring uh-huh. all of your production, which was Crosby and my friend Pretzel, a.k.a. Getzel. Yep, they were had, destroying. The two of them had eight of the nine even strength goals. Yeah. They they combined for like 16 goals, and the rest of the team combined for 13 goals or something. They had more than the rest of the team combined. We were talking about this at the start of the season, too. We said that Pittsburgh was not going to three-peat because of their depth. Yeah, it's, and what do you know? It bit them in the butt in the playoffs. It it came true in the end. Their depth was not there. They lost key players. We took one of them, yep. <laughs> who, who's ended up doing great production for us as far as face-offs and everything is concerned. We were dead on on that prediction. And speaking of predictions, there's a certain person at this table who had a bet with another person at this table, and it has come true, and it is now time to pay up. Where's my $5 at? The $5 is underneath the ceremonial puck on the table. (laughs) Kyle, you may claim your $5, and I'm going to take a picture of you for our Twitter account (laughs) because you are 100% right about the Vegas Golden Knights going to the Western Conference Final. Look at Matt shaking his head in disbelief. Hey, you hear this, Matt? (laughs) <laughs> what a great sound bite that's called uh fresh cash it's five dollars it's going to coffee tomorrow nice you well double done. down double down nope oh i'm not betting on the house okay good call but that said what a great series with the sharks and the knights yeah that's been my favorite series so far both goaltenders i thought did fairly well it was <laughs> That series was a chess match, in my opinion. It was like one team destroyed the other. The other team made an adjustment, came back and won. The other team made the adjustment to the adjustment. I mean, it, yeah. it was incredible. Back and forth, back and forth. And finally, they strung two two wins at the end. Howbeit very lucky, because that last game, game six, Sharks were all over the post. I think that I counted five or six posts hit. A lot there of pings. Was, there was one that went right in between Flurry's legs. He missed it. It went five-hole. But because of the angle, it squirted right out to the right of the post. I mean, even Flurry was like rubbing the post for luck. You know how he yeah. talks to the post. He even realized sometimes you just got to get lucky. Game six, they got lucky because the Sharks were everywhere on them. I mean, you could tell they were desperate in an elimination game. But credit to them, credit to the Golden Knights. They held true. They got a little bit of luck involved. And they are in the freaking Western Conference Final as an expansion team. Yeah. And every GM is kicking their butt right now because they gave up players and all their players are now Western Conference Final Bound. 
I'll have to say, I doubted them. I watched all the games. They are legit, man. I think if you look at the rest of the league of who's the favorite to win the cup, I think I'm taking Vegas. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I had Vegas, you know, getting this far, but I don't have them getting past the Preds. That's if the Preds can get over the Winnipeg home. I, oh, I, well, yeah. I, I honestly think, though, the winner of – not to spoil some of the, the the talk on the Preds and Jets, but I honestly think the winner of the Jets and Preds series is going to the final. Well, Or me, they have a highly, highly higher percent chance to win the cup, rather. It's nothing set in stone. I mean, anything can happen. You could have a key injury. God forbid a goaltender goes down. I mean, that could happen to the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> could you imagine Flurry going down? They're done. See, you see what I mean? Anything could happen, but I'm just saying the chances are statistically higher for whoever comes out of this series with the, the Jets and Preds. And I also think they know that for that game seven, that's going to be a monster game seven on on Thursday. It'd be hilarious if um, Flurry did go down. That means Subin's now brother has Subin. to come out, yeah, and talk about a story for the ages. The NHL would eat that up if it was brother versus brother. Yeah, remember to make it to the final. Subban had a it was a possible shootout uh, they against didn't put them, him against but they didn't no, let him go. I was there at that game. I was so frustrated because I think we were there. We yeah, were, and I was yelling. I'm like, just put Subban in. I don't even care if we lose the game at this point because it went to like the seventh frame or something yeah. ridiculous. No one was shooting well at all, and I'm like, just put him in there. Let him get a slapper. He's probably not going to get it past him. Whatever. I just wanted to see it. No. But. Well, I think just the thing to note about them is they're on high alert in my book. I said, you know, I I was selling them in the first round and then coming in. Now I'm looking at their stats because mm-hmm. they played the Sharks. It was a well-fought game. Like you said, it was a chess match. Both teams shut out the team that they placed, that they faced in the first round. And if you look at what Vegas did, you kind of looked and see both teams were fast. They beat up their bruiser teams they played. So you, I was watching a stat from uh, Mike Kelly actually was talking about this a lot, and he had some good stats, and he said, you really would look to see whoever the fastest team out of these two might be the team to advance because they have similar characteristics, really. Right. I mean, if you're ranking the bruiser teams, though, it was like <laughs> Ducks and Kings, and then they lost. And then I would argue that the... Well, the Golden Knights are faster, but there's still some element of bruising mentality on the Sharks. Right. So you still saw that come true in some of the series games with the Sharks, but they are definitely way faster than they used to be. Yeah, I guess here's a stat that, to my point, that said that both those teams had more goals off the rush than any other team coming into the second round, both the Sharks and Vegas. So their effective team off the rush, speed be darned or not, that's how it is. But if you look at what Vegas did, they were able to jam up the Sharks' speed through the neutral zone, and therefore that actually caused the Sharks to have the highest neutral zone turnover rate in that round with 12%. So they were able to clog the Sharks up in the neutral zone, and even when the Sharks did gain the zone, they didn't really look that much better because Vegas had the highest zone denial rate in the second round altogether with 48%. So not only... Did they clog them down in the neutral zone? They clogged them down the defensive zone. They looked like a well-oiled machine put together. I'm not going to lie, though, but once they got into the zone, that's where they were having trouble with the cycles and also the pucks in front of the net. And I thought the Sharks did well at exploiting that, but it was a little too, you know, too little, too late kind of mentality. By the time they, they gave up three, four goals, <laughs> you're not coming back from that. It's difficult to do that, especially with a world-class goaltender who has 
you know, multiple championships underneath his belt, and he's playing really good right now. It all lined up, and sure enough, the Sharks get bumped, and here we are with a brand new, fresh team all the way into the Western Conference Final. But I want to go back real quick. You're talking about coming back. Do you think Joe Thornton's going to come back? Uh, yes. You think so? Yeah. I. It was on social media today a little bit. It was uh, Paul Gackle who reported, and he said that he was interviewing a little bit with Joe Thornton, and he said he came out and said his injury list and that he was battling an ACL and an MCL uh, tear in his right knee, which was the same thing he battled last year. So that's kind of sidebar. So then the question was asked, well, what about next year since you're hurt again? And Thornton said that he wants to come back next year and he's willing to make it another one-year deal and he would take a pay cut just to stay a shark because that's where he wants to be. Yeah, and he'll end up retiring there. You know, if it's this year, he doesn't come back, he'll get, he'll retire officially as a shark, more than likely. And I will say also, it did come out that Evander Kane also was battling an injury as well. He was playing with a separated shoulder and an MCL also. You're right. That, yeah, I mean, that's huge for them because he had such great offensive production towards the you know second half of the season after he was acquired. So yeah. you have to know that that definitely affected them in the playoffs. But that's part of it. Well, guys, I think it's time we stop playing around and we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Oh, yes. The Preds games against the Jets. What a great series this has been so far. It has not been what anybody expected so far. I was listening to the NHL Network on the way over here for the recording, and the media was talking to Paul Maurice, and they said, Paul, what do you think the series has been like? Has it been what you expected? They said more specifically, is there a game out of the six been played so far that you thought epitomized what this series was going to be instead of the back-to-back-to-back wins that no team has been able to get? And he said, if I was to pick a game of the six have played, he goes, I said game two should have been what this series was going to be. Yeah, the the double overtime, incredible. That said, it was kind of like after that after that overtime game, you knew that we had to steal one in Winnipeg. So going forward in games three and four, I was expecting the Preds to come out and respond really well, and it's really been hit and miss, and it's it's been quite frustrating watching it over the series. But we come out in game three, and it's one of those things that. I felt like we started strong, but then faded again. And I, I, I really don't know what's the mentality of the team if, if you can let that happen. Well, you want to know how bad Game 3 was for us? There was only two players in the entire game for the Preds that did not get scored on. Who were who were they? As if Emlyn's on there, no. <laughs> it was definitely Emlyn. The third pair, Emily and Irwin, were the only two Preds that did not get scored yeah, on yeah, in we even got, strength. We got lit up. Well, first of all, we jump out to a hot start. 3-0, first period. You cannot ask for a better start to a, to a game. On the road, in Winnipeg, hostile environment. You could have heard a pin drop in that arena. But no, we have to squander it away. We have one, like, three-minute lapse for our defense, and we're toasted. It is... Almost as if the finals have come back to haunt us from last year because we did the same crap. Yep. I I remember the specific game. We were in Pittsburgh. It was game three. We were watching it at Jonathan's Grill, and it was a two to three minute lapse where we were up and we got toasted. Like three goals. Boom, boom, boom. You're done. Go sit down. You're done. And I don't understand why they do that occasionally. 
But sure enough, we squander a perfect chance to take back home ice at game three. Absolutely squander it. First of all, they score four goals in the second. <laughs> Two in 19 seconds, I might add. And three of them came from the left circle. Yeah, and, Crazy. After, and after this one, people were calling to pull Peck out, blah, 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 blah. But our defense was absolute trash on all these plays. Um, you could look at right before each goal, and our defensive positioning was completely off. We were either all we we were all tilted to left all or left. right. It, well, in this case, yes, we were all left for all the right-handed goals, but we had been doing that all game, and finally they exploited it. We all shifted to the left, boom, back post, one-timer each time. Peck cannot get that. You give him the first goal. You give him the kick goal, whatever. But at the, the one-timers, no, not his fault. That is on your defense, and Peck was mad, and you could tell. I don't know if that's some kind of scouting report because that's a, that's a theme I've been noticing is the right side of the defensive always has a hole. So it seems like people are our defense is shifting intentionally on the left, which doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because that's Pekka's glove hand, his strong side. I, that must be some kind of a scouting where that's where the majority of their scoring comes from or something. I don't, I don't know what the deal with that is. Yeah, it, it, it's just I haven't seen Peck that frustrated since the Game 7 – in the Shark Tank, where he broke we his got, stick. We, yes, he yeah. broke his stick and threw it up against the wall because he knew his one his defense had let him down. They got absolutely destroyed that night. It was five to zero loss. <laughs> they couldn't do anything. And the funny thing about Peck is he's not going to particularly call out anyone in the locker room. But you know, you know when he's mad like that, that he knows it wasn't him, but the defense needed to step it up. And that, I honestly thought that was the best thing that could have happened. You saw Peck get mad. Peck took a penalty. Yeah, hit a guy. Very uncharacteristic. But he was also mad about that one because his mask had come off. He was motioning for the refs, and the refs didn't see it. And they should have blown the play dead because, you know, that's an automatically, that's player safety. Yeah. You blow the whistle. I don't care if it's on the power play and they're in the zone. You blow the whistle. That ended up being the game-winning goal, by the way. So... Really a 5-4 to four loss. You got the two empty netters at the end. But in the first period, you had Mike Fisher, Subban, and Watson scoring. Then the second period just meltdown. Shastny, Bufflin, Truba, Bufflin again. Third period, Forsberg comes back, tries to make a game of it. But then the one that broke our back was the power play goal by Wheeler. Absolutely killer. Wheeler had another empty net and 10 if. 7-4 loss. <laughs> It was a nasty game. I called it the Minitoba Meltdown. That's a good name for the game. I got some good headlines this this game. I got Lickgate in the Minitoba 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 Manitoba 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 Meltdown. It's such a great line. Well, that's crazy. What'd you call Game Four then? I'll think of that one up on the spot. But guess what? It's called a good defensive game. It's called trap defense. Admiral Akbar in the house. <laughs> but let's talk it's about trap, the controversy baby. that happened before that game. So Lavi made the controversial decision to pull Fiala out of the lineup, and we're talking early about Preds Facebook meltdown again. <laughs> yeah, Preds Twitter was like, "Yeah, interesting. What could be his reason behind it?" Preds Facebook was like, "World is ending." Fire Lavi. But that allowed Hartnell to come into the lineup, and like you said, Game Four we transitioned back to a traditional trap game, which worked very well against Chicago last season in the first round. Yeah, they would know. They would absolutely know the trap defense if they saw it. 
ironically enough, there's a guy, a brand new coworker. He's a Chicago fan. He's from Chicago, so I'll give that one to him. And we were talking about the trap defense, and he was like, yeah, y'all need to use it. It worked well. Believe me, I know. So I'm like, yeah, against a fast team, you got to do it. Yeah. You get up, you get that one-two goal lead, and I want to see boring hockey. That's right. I, I want slow and steady wins the race, baby. I just I want to see that neutral zone clogged. I want a 1-3-1, one, one, a chaser up front, two guys on the sides. So if they have to dump and chase, and that is not their game because Peck usually comes out of the goal. He's able to field it, and it totally throws off their cycle. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. But Pred's Facebook blew up over Fiala being out. I think part of the problem was that both teams are very fast, very offensive, but the Jets hold the edge on that. And I think they proved that, especially in Game 3 and in Game 1, that they can do it. Game 2, I honestly say it was a fluke win on our part. Double overtime, sure, but we got the win. I didn't think we were going to get the win, and I really expect this going into Manitoba being down two games. So we get the game two win. Game three, we fall apart. Game four, we real we finally realize we can't run and gun with them. We've got to slow them down. And it worked. It, I mean, it, it completely worked. Hartnell being in there, he it literally like one of the first plays in, he was up against the board on Bufflin. Yeah. He had him tied up, and Bufflin had been killing us. That was pitiful. Had he had like us. two goals the game before that, and then he comes in and then shuts down Bufflin. That was very key for you guys. I, I mean, it was a defensive gem. The whole game, first of all, you take basically take away the one goal at the end because it's a six-on-four with hardly any time left. Yeah. It's a shutout for Peck. Great bounce-back win. I mean, Hartman has a great, great down-and-dirty goal in front of Hellebrook. Once again, traffic in front of the net. That's how you're going to score on him. PK has that slap-shot bomb on the power play, which yep. is great because the crowd's booing and booing and booing and boo. Slapper right in. Great way to shut up a crowd, by the way. I think he relishes the boos. We should probably just start booing him. I just say we start up the boo chant on on, on a power play. But that said, we got to that 2-0 lead, and it was like, lock it down, flip the switch, trap mode activated. And and really getting on the board first is key to that because if you have to play catch-up against the Jets, then you have to play their style. You have to play that exactly. run-and-gut offense, exactly. and you're not allowed to play your system. Exactly. Like Kyle was saying, I think the Jets have the upper hand in offense. So to counteract that, you want to play your style, that trap defense, make them play your, your strength in defense, and then you shut them down that way. But if you don't get on the board first, you can't do that. It allows you to slow the game down to your level, right. and it allows our excellent – defensemen to have control and dictate the game they can get into the zone they can then begin the cycle then they can begin to get offensive production as well because they are cycling well and then they can continue to feed the people in front of hellebrook and that's something that they were missing in games one through three if you look at their possession the puck possession by defensemen, they were down almost like 40% between game one to game three. So once you've seen game four run around, start to play your system, and then defensemen can start to puck move a little better and get back to the traditional game, which you guys are good at. Games three, four, and five, ironically enough, trending up. Right. And what's happened? Here we come back. We're right back in the series. So I was very shocked, however, after such a great quality win to tie it up, to come into game five just to pull Hartman back out. And I know we were talking about this before Hartnell, the game. Rather, Hartnell got pulled out. Yeah, 
So we're talking about this before the game and after the game because, you know, it's really interesting. You get Fiala back in the lineup, you pull Hartnell back out, and people had a legitimate concern. I know people say, trust Lobby, trust the system. But in my experience, I've always seen that if you have a lineup that wins you a game, you stick with that lineup until something proves wrong. But at the same time, when you come back as the home team, you do get the option for last change, which means you get the better chance to dictate the match lineups. And I think that's why Fiala got pulled. That's just my opinion. You know, it's funny because people, <laughs> there's an argument for and against. So you, we don't know all of the stats and everything that they're, you know, that the team is doing for themselves because I know they have in-house people doing all this. They're doing deep dives that are way more in-depth than what we're going to cover. But I did find something that said Kevin Fiala was third on the team just behind Ardvidsson for expected goals. Now, that is expected goals. That that, that doesn't translate, you know, you got to finish it. That is a key factor, I think, why he came back and reinserted him in Game 5. On top of it, being at home, he gets to dictate with the last change. I understand all of that. I still personally wanted Hartnell in there because it slowed the play down. Absolutely. Regardless. But then we got down again, and then once again, it's it's us trying to get caught up. So I understand why he reinserted him into the lineup, but at the same time, I wanted a little bit of both. Spoiler alert, Game 6 got a little bit of both. Well, let's talk real quick about how bad that defense was in Game 5. Almost every goal that was scored against us came from the slot. Shocker. Yeah, I mean, we got we got tore up. I mean, you got Connor, Shifley, Connor again, Bufflin, Statsney, all shots from the point. Not Sorry, not the point, but from the slot. And Peck was left to hang out the dry. And as we were talking uh, last night, Matt, during the game, slot shot's the most dangerous because the goalie's got a one-in-five shot of getting the right position. Lavi had a great quote after the game, and he said, they will get better as soon as we get better in front of him, referring to Pecorine's numbers this postseason. Well, if I you mean, look, come on. Like, you, there was a four-way screen, a four-way gold screen on Bufflin's goal. If you look at, of course, this is the game after, but we were sitting there watching, and NBC's commentators are, like, burning Rene's ship down. Oh, he's not been good. His numbers are terrible. You look at his inner slot save percentage. Well, first of all, before you go run the bus over the likely Vesna winner this year, may, maybe you want to first look at the defense and the reason why that stuff is going on. If you let a guy get an inner slot shot, I'm not going to blame Rene for that. I'm just not. The defense is the reason that he had such op- they had such opportunities to score those high danger shots against Rene. So if you look at the difference between game and five and six and you say, oh, well, what happened? Did Rene just get suddenly so better overnight? No, it's the fact that the defense put it together in the front of him. So don't go burning the ship on Rene. That's just not how it was. Uh, I completely agree. And Lavi agreed too. His comments reflected that. And I'm glad he said it. Kind of called out his defense core. I, I mean, right. you, you have to address it, and he did. And guess what? Game freaking six going into Winnipeg. I'm not going to lie. I was nervous. I was too. I was nervous last night because I'm like... Everybody was. You know this team was going to come out and want to kill. They're at home. They got 20,000 people outside ready for their first ever... We're the best home team best in home the league team this in league. postseason. Well, guess what? We're the best road, road team. team. <laughs> so, right. whatever. But at the same time, that that's scary. Going into it. I mean, we were clinching hard. Oh, I was too. Because I was coming back to meet you guys for the watch party at the Fountains in the Borough. Coming back from a uh, high school soccer game I was covering. And so I got to hear the first goal on the radio. 
And as soon as it came across, they were like, I think they're waving it off for being a you know being high, a stick. high <laughs> stick. And I was just like, of course, that's how this game is going to start. And I was like, that's going to be our night. And then when they said, oh, we got it, I was like, God bless you, Wes McCauley. <laughs> Little did we know that RV would be the first one. But at the same time, when they said high stick on RV, I'm like, he's not even above the crossbar, and he was already ducking. First of all, great tip in by RV. Kind of lucky, spinning, but he's in front of the net. Yeah, for like, a two or just goal. But uh, you can't block a tip in, and it was a great tip in. So whatever, you just give it to him. But first of all, to start off like that in the first 60 seconds. Yeah, first minute or so. Wow. 102 in. I mean, that that's incredible. That's the way to start out the game. That's what you needed. We needed that, and our top line was clicking last night. Uh, I, I mean, there there's no way around it. They look good. They look like they got their swag back. All of a sudden, we get up, and then all of a sudden, here comes the trap defense again. And that opened up plenty of turnovers for us in the neutral zone, which led to crazy stretch passes, which was the second goal by Forsberg. Which was a beautiful goal because, my gosh, when that goal happened, I think everybody thought it was a line change, and he happened to get on the ice, and then you find out, no, no, he's lost his stick, and the equipment manager has basically Assist. has a stick waiting for him, and he grabs it and just is in perfect positioning and makes that goal. Now, I know some people wanted to call that being interference. Yeah, Jets fans online were livid. They're like, interference? I'm like, what world are you watching this hockey game in? Because first of all, the goal, the puck was in, a good second and a half, two seconds before Forsberg ran in the net. Hellebrook didn't even... I mean, Hellebrook was just like, what happened? I mean, Forsberg outmanned a guy, had a guy draped over him, grabbed a stick from the bench, and somehow top shelves that glove side yeah. wall falling down. That's a freak of nature is what that is. And his celly as he slides across the ice. But celly. <laughs> Face up. Arms open wide. That's, it's better than the Kuznetsov celly, the dancing crane. <laughs> I hate that. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I. You know what? I kind of enjoyed it though in Pittsburgh because yeah. that he was doing that crane right at That's the a crowd, good way to and give I'm like, middle finger. "Ooh, that is so good! What way to get underneath those Pittsburgh fans right there?" So I'll I'll, I'll accept the crane silly for the the overtime win against the Penguins only, but normal circumstances, no. But that said, what a great goal by Forsberg, and that put us up two zero. First of all, feeling way better. We get the two zero lead. And then on top of it, boy, all of a sudden something flipped. And it was like the team looked looked like the better team for once in this series. We were playing good defense, great zone time, great cycles. And our key players were showing up. Really, it, it was a pretty dominant performance all game long. And one of the things you kind of struggle with is putting together a full 60-minute effort. And that's and been this a big complaint one, this game. That's right. But... You guys put that solid effort the whole game. There was no doubt. It was slow and steady. It was one goal per period, one goal per period. And there was no – you guys didn't let the Jets get any life in and just just kept on the pressure the full game. Oh, and Hartnell is back in the lineup. <laughs> That's right. Fourth line. Fourth line. And we have Fiala. So that went back to my key of having them both in there. You have expected goals still on your second line. You're not messing with the chemistry, but you still have Hartnell on the bottom line to bruise people because he laid the wood on Connors. And oh, oh my God! Yeah, it that was a dump truck coming Freaking in. Snatched his soul out. <laughs> that was one of the best hits I've seen. Dude, all year. I I saw it coming too, and we were at the plaza, and that hit happened, and everyone was just like, "Oh yes!" <laughs> like that was what you want. You want that nasty, good, clean hit, and yeah. it was just. I, I mean, he backed over him, 
<laughs> he just ran over him, backed over him with the, the back tires, and kept going. And that's Scott Hartnell. And he had some great 97 career postseason games, by the way. Crazy. Good resume. That veteran leadership right there, man. Well, you had Cali and Hartnell reinserted for that lineup. And that is huge, in my opinion, because Cali, first of all, was having a career season before he got injured. So if he can regain some of that swag now, start getting some more offensive production from the fourth line, that is going to be incredible. I like to call I like to call Hartnell, he's got that hockey IQ. He's been around the game long enough to know those down and dirty areas, the way to make that one move that sets him apart from the pack. That's like Benino, too. I think we talked about that at yeah. the game. Uh, they're very similar as far as they're very crafty. He's not as physical as Hartnell, but he's a very, very knowledgeable player. And as far as faceoffs, he's been killing it. Him and Mike Fisher were, were the bomb. But unfortunately, we'll talk about that, Mike Fisher is now injured. So interesting to see how that fits in on the fourth line. And one thing we did not mention is the fact that we held the Jets to no power play goals last night. Four, four for four. Yeah, four penalty kills. Successful. That is something, though, it's playing with fire. Uh, I want to see two penalties next game. Yeah. I'll, give you, I'll give you a quota. I want, I want south of three for sure. First of all, I would love to penalty, too. We scored all of our goals five on five last strength. night. I just want to point that out. Five on five. That is an incredible stat because if we continue to do that and then get a penalty called because, first of all, there were some penalties. I know Matt lapped. Uh, I think Smith got in the spin cycle. Like he jumped and just buffling, just destroyed him. And, of course, people do somersaults midair. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. We weren't getting a call, but we were capitalizing five on five. So you have to think at being at home, we'll get a couple car calls go our way. So if we're playing five-on-five five well and then can get that one or two power play goals, I'm feeling good. Let's talk about that other Forsberg goal real quick. Yeah, don't skip over that. That was amazing. He is a highlight reel machine. And I love it because people are you know paying more attention to the Preds and they're realizing Forsberg is a really good player. He is stupid good. They asked Sisson that, Sisson's after the game if he was ever going to try that. And he's like, no, absolutely not. He's like, I would break my ankles if I tried that. He's in the con Smythe discussion now. I saw that today. Bro, he's lighting it up. He's a highlight reel. That in between the legs. We've seen him do it before against Colorado. But this one is in the playoffs against a Vesna caliber, Vesna caliber goalie, according to NBC, which, I mean, that flip-flops night for night. I mean, Hellebrook <laughs> could be the Vesna candidate and then not. And Pekka, oh, man, after that shutout, he's back up in yeah. the Vesna. <laughs> he's the best. Yeah, I mean, you even tweeted right at NBC. It oh, was yeah. like, well, what is it? I was NBC. getting a little mad at how flip-floppy that was. Dude. Yeah. I think you were more mad about the fact that Jeremy Roenick was dressed up in their Winnipeg whiteout. Yeah, I didn't really care for that very much, that unbiased coverage there. Jeremy Roenick dressing up in Winnipeg, full whiteout. He had a white afro on and white jumpsuit of some kind. I don't know. Well, hey, the Winnipeg whiteout was great because we held them to white noise. <laughs> nice. Yeah, white noise. There wasn't even white noise. It was you could have heard a pin drop after that Forsberg. All, I, all I'm saying is, Ronick better be game seven in Nashville. He better be throwing out the catfish on the ice. He better be in a catfish suit, pounding some beers down or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he. Yeah. I want to see some some uh, Nashville love. So he he went all out for the Jets. But man, that Forsberg goal. I can't even talk about it. It's easy mode. He he just flipped, he he went back to, he put in NHL 18 
and lowered the difficulty and just started wrecking people. <laughs> He's been on fire, man. And we need that because last year he was non-existent. So if if I'm feeling like my top line's producing, we have our physicality back. We have our swag back. Ryan Johansson afterwards said, we didn't just eke out that win. We dominated right. the game. That has to be a huge confidence boost for you going into game seven. We know we're the better team if we play our game. You better come out game seven and kick butt. I don't want to see anything left on the ice. I want to see trap defense. I want to see... The top line rolling. I would love to see the second line do something for once. We have tons of tons of expected goals from Fiala, but Smith and Turris ain't doing squat. Well, like you said, at the least, we are trending in the right direction. You start off to a shaky start. Everything is getting better. Starting to play your style of hockey. Starting to have those results. Your best players are being your best players. Forsberg is on fire. That's what you want to see going into Game 7 on your eyes. And you know Game 7 is going to be absolutely ridiculous. You're talking Ab- about absolutely ridiculous. At game home. seven, they did ask. Um, the reason why I'm quoting most of the Jet side because on the, way, on the way over here, they were simply talking to the Jets, and so they asked Paul Maurice. They said, "What is it like going to Game seven? And he equated it to Christmas. <laughs> I, I mean, this is the first ever Game seven at Bridgestone. I really don't know what to expect. I've never physically attended. A game at Bridgestone into Game Seven. I'm a little envious I, of you for going to Game Seven. I, I'm going to be watching it from home. I have been to the triple overtime game with the Sharks. You're welcome again. That, yeah, well, that was your fault. You gave up the tickets, so I don't even want to hear that. Hey, it was a date, a date. So, so regardless, that game is way up. I mean, it, it's at the top because one, it's climactic, triple overtime, great storylines. But I have a feeling, I have a feeling this Game Seven against the Jets which has been a razor-thin series, absolutely, absolutely going to be insane. There's also some stats that I would like to point out through six games. Let's get those stats then. So shot attempts, 338 to 338. Shots on goal, 177 to 177. Crazy. Goals, 12 to 11 in favor of the Predators. High danger chances, 66 to 65 in favor of the Jets. It is statistically the same. The margin of error is greater than the variance in these in these stats right here. That is insane. These teams are razor thin, and I am so excited for Game 7. And to quote Lord of the Rings? No. Nope, don't do it, Kyle. This game is on the edge of a knife. <laughs> Straight but a little. little. Yes, yes. But... To comment on Forsberg's dominance this pro season, season and the uh, the Con Smythe talks, Forsberg has 15 points this postseason, and they're all primary assists. Seven goals and eight primary assists. 15 points or 15 primary points is second in the NHL. 56 shots on goal leads the NHL, and seven goals leads the team. This is all from Jacob Underwood on Twitter. I have another stat, Philip Forsberg, the last 23 games, including the 11 regular season, 15 goals, 15 assists, plus 13 rating on the ice, 91 shots on goal. Nice. He is heating up exactly when we need him to, and I cannot wait for that game seven. I think it is going to be an absolute drawn out, leave it all on the ice kind of game. Cannot wait. And speaking of Game 7, uh, we actually have a couple of Twitter questions tonight from the audience, which is great to see. We're actually getting some interaction here. Uh, Brendan Page on Twitter asks, 
Who do you think will be the breakout player in Game 7? I mean, is it too early to say Philip Forsberg? That's what I'm thinking. I mean, that's the easy That's the easy answer. So it's the easy answer because it's been the most consistent player. Oh, I'm picking Fiala, bro. <laughs> uh, I'll say RV on this one. RV, that's a good one. I will say because he's due, Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris. Well, you know, that's interesting because that gets us into another Twitter question from Crystal here. What do you think the hang-up has been for Kyle Turris' postseason? For someone who has been there and done that, he seems less confident. We're seeing him kind of be a little shaky. So what do you think his his deal is on the second line? I think it may be with the fact that he's not had to play with such intensity. He came from Ottawa. Ottawa was oh, crap. Oh, what a burn. Zero, that O on the, the jersey, what does it stand for? <laughs> yeah, how many cups they got. Yeah, zero. Well, I think that has to do with it, and I think that line is getting frustrated because they're getting some better looks as the series has gone on, but they just can't put it in the back of the net. Fiala missed another one, too, in game yeah. six. He has missed several so, open nets. So I, I think the frustrating is start, the frustration is starting to mount. I think they just need to remain calm, simplify it. It's going to fall eventually. It is going to fall. The biggest, I mean, they did have the overtime winner, which, first of all, Turris was the key yeah, in that play. Was. So I wouldn't say he's been non-existent. He showed up big in that one moment, but when we need him consistently, he hasn't been. I just need him to slow it down. Don't go crazy. Just keep playing your game, and they're going to fall. They're going to fall, but we, preferably we need you in game seven. So sooner than later would be nice. Yeah, I'm not going to run the bus over him or nothing. I think, like you said, that entire line's been a little frustrated, and realistically not everybody can be super hot for you. You'd like to see more production out of that line, but just give us some more time. I don't, I don't know. And that's the very reason why we have scoring depth, though. Our second line is not doing good. We got the first line, we got the third line, we got the fourth line, which we all know they're capable of scoring as well. So I'm not too worried, but it is something I would like to see if we do get past Game 7 and we get into the next round that is addressed. Well, speaking of the next round and speculation, at Sax Maverick on Twitter asks us, if given the option for the possible next series, and Mike Fisher is definitely out, which we didn't cover too much on, and I was kind of saving that for this this conversation, would you consider putting Freddie over uh, Salty in or have any possible bottom six combination of Hartnell, Hartman, Benino, Sissons, Watson, Yarkrook in you know any jumbled order? So, first of all, Mike Fisher, we have not <laughs> gotten an update, and I love Lobby's comment today. He said, uh, if we need to give you an update, we'll give you an update. <laughs> yeah. So, basically, like, we're not going to tell you anything. Yeah, they're not going to relieve, they're not going to uh, reveal that information right now because they don't want to be exploited, but... Uh, I, I did hear that his knee was wrapped. Yeah, I heard and that. And he was limping. Don't, I mean, don't know how much you can put into that, but I honestly think if he's severely injured or if he's not playing rather on uh, Thursday, on he back. must be injured Yeah, because this is his last season. I, I feel like if he's healthy, he's going. So it'll be interesting to see. Maybe we'll hear more over the next day or two leading up to Thursday. I have a feeling for gotta, some reason Wednesday. They got to practice tomorrow. Yeah, so. I think Wednesday, tomorrow we'll get some more juicy news on that. So stay posted. But if Mike Fisher is out, who who do you sub for him? Freddie. Freddie, for real. You're Freddy's bringing had, in the black the yeah. black ace from. You don't put Tolvanen in. 
bro. No. You don't drop a center down and put Tolman in it. I'm not putting I'm not <laughs> dropping Tolman in. He has no playoff experience. Freddie has Stanley Rude. Cup final experience. He I know does. Matt I know Matt's all about the Tolvin bus, but <laughs> hey look, at this point, he's got to ride in the back seat. What do you, what do you say, Matt? This I mean, this is a great question. Uh yeah, that is a good question. Something to consider. I think I'll pass on Freddie. I might be a fan of let's switch some lines over. You remember the guy in the middle of the game yesterday asked Coach Laviolette what his opinion on it was, what his what his strategy was, and he's he didn't seem to be very worried about it. Honestly, he was kind of perturbed that the guy asked him what what you're going to do if Fisher's out, and he's like, you know, we we got plenty of score uh, center depth. You know, this is something we worked on in the offseason. He's he didn't seem to be concerned about it at all, and yeah. I'm really not either. I wouldn't mind seeing a winger slide into that place and then sub one of them out, but maybe Yonkrock step in at center. Maybe I, 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 that's the thing. We have so many centers now. Yeah, we didn't we didn't have this problem. You know, last year it was like we just kept bleeding centers and we had no one to replace. I would say if it comes down to it and Fisher can't play, I would say Yonkrock probably becomes your fourth line center. I'm not going to touch that third line. It's a shutdown line. Keep it. Yarn and if that's the case, you bring Yonkrock and then put Hartman on the fourth line as a winger. First of all, Hartman, Hartnell <laughs> on a bottom line. You talk about some grit and some fire. That's a two of hearts line. Boy. Yeah, that would be uh, that will be very interesting if that does come to fruition at any time because uh, there's a lot of spirit in that line. And ironically enough, Hartman reminds me of a younger Hartnell. I kind of like that, actually. But we'll see. This is all hypothetical. I think we'll learn more tomorrow uh, as far as the status of Fisher. Um, that, that practice is going to be key. I guarantee you. they're, they're going to come out and he'll be like, it's a maintenance day. You know <laughs> you know, Lobby's going to do that crap tomorrow. He'll do it just to screw everybody because the media will like, oh my gosh, we can't write our stories. We have yeah. to speculate now. <laughs> Sports radio, man. Speculation. It's, it's real. But man, those are some good Twitter questions. Thank you so much, guys, for asking those. Yes, please continue to do that in the future. I will make this a trend and try to tweet out on nights that we record. Definitely, and talking about uh, tweeting out. So we do have the jersey giveaway going on. Uh, I initially said last week, it was a week ago today on Tuesday, that I made the tweet and said, hey, if you retweet us and follow us, you're going to be entered in for a jersey. Home or away, your choice. And oh my gosh, guys, it blew up. It blew up. I don't even know. I, I've got so many notifications on my phone over the past three days. I don't even know what to do with them. I feel so popular. We're getting people interacting with us. Man, it's best. Y'all got, they all rock. Everyone it's been incredible. Guys, I don't know about Matt, but Daniel and I love you all. <laughs> Matt oh, yeah. does too, actually. We were talking about it. It's just, it's nice having the interaction now. So uh, definitely keep that up for future episodes because we're going to be incorporating some new stuff over the summer. No spoiler alert. Super but excited about it. We're really excited about uh Ironically enough, the off season and retooling for the start of next season. So. We are getting that goal light, right? We talked about this goal light, and we're getting the the Stanley Cup popcorn machine <laughs> for the studio. It's got to happen. You can eat out of the top of the cup. Look, if we're getting the Stanley Cup, though, you got to have put hot dogs in it. No, <laughs> no, no. They've been eliminated. That the Stanley Cup is seeing other people this year. That was so good that the Stanley Cup has its own Twitter account and broke up with the Penguins that way. Yeah, and I think the Penguins responded like, "Really?" over Twitter, and they're like, "Well, we're gonna take a break for now, but you got to work <laughs> work to get us back." And I'm like, <laughs> "Perfect." <laughs> well, guys, I think that's a good point to bring in our Twitter handles. So if you like the show, guys, you can find us on Music City Gold on Twitter. You can find me at Kyle Hancock. You can find Daniel at C Dan Drum, and you can find Matt at Matt Bain Thirty One. Those hot takes on Matt's account, man—they're so juicy sometimes. 
Yes, we have to be constantly berating Matt. You cannot put those on the main account. <laughs> I'm not scared of an opinion. Hey, we like it. But anyways, guys, this has been Music City Gold, part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. We will see you guys next week. Buckle up for Game 7. Regardless or not if we make it, giving you all the playoff news. And so, that being said, you guys have a great week, and we will see you on the ice. Bye.